Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show today. My name is Tim Small. My guest on today's show is Christina Murray. Christina plays Americana and country music, rooted and steeped in troubadour storytelling and southern rock grit. Christina currently lives in Nashville, active in the independent country and Americana scene. Christina, welcome to the show. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you on the show today, Christina. You were originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and then I believe you moved to Colorado, and now you found yourself in Nashville. So I'm sure you're very happy living there now because Nashville is uh, certainly a hub for musicians these days. But what has your journey been like in terms of relocating from various parts of America? Oh, man, that's a great question. You know, when I moved to Colorado, I was moving from rural South Carolina. That's where I went to college. I grew up in Atlanta and I had never really lived outside of the South before. So when I moved out to Colorado, I was young. I was 21 and um, I was really looking for something really different. And most people, a lot of people that I knew that had traveled outside of the South had said, you know, it's very important to get out of this region and live elsewhere in the country just because America's so varied and in its regions and um in its ideas and and what's happening in different parts of the country so it's it's pretty good and healthy to to explore those different things so i was pretty young and when i moved to colorado i was really i had been into bluegrass for a few years and there was kind of a, a buzzing little progressive bluegrass scene that was out there and i, I wanted to explore you know becoming a better musician and what that meant. Um, it was mostly motivated by that. And so I moved out there and got really into the bluegrass music scene, which then eventually evolved into wanting to learn more about traditional country. I knew some traditional country growing up. You know, my parents listened to a variety of music, mostly rock and roll, but a variety of stuff. So I knew some country music and I knew some popular country music growing up, but I never really hadn't really delved into the old stuff. So when I was learning bluegrass and studying bluegrass, when I lived out there, I got really into country music. And then at some point, it kind of became clear that just due to the locale of where Colorado was, and, you know, it's so far from my whole family that lived in the South still, and just the kind of music that I was wanting to make, you know, which was, I wanted to start to discover and explore how to write my own music and meet other young people that were doing the same thing that that were influenced by some of the same influences that I had musically. So, you know, I kind of reached a peak place in Colorado and uh, actually just got really fed up with the weather too out there because it, it snows a lot. <laughs> and then you know, about six, six and a half years ago, I decided to move to Nashville. So it's been a very, very journey. And sometimes I get frustrated with myself that I feel like I maybe wasted time in Colorado, but I also learned how to be a musician out there. I learned the Nashville number system and I really studied music and music form, uh, wrote and recorded my first record out there, performed, learned how to play three and a half to four hours worth of covers, which was important for, you know, musical education. And and then uh, when I moved here, I was 
I got a little bit frustrated with my lack of knowledge on the business side of of how to run myself as a, a small business or as an independent artist as a small business and how to network, you know, things like that. So it's been an up and down journey. And just in the last, I don't know, maybe two years have I felt like, okay, I'm starting to grasp how to do this. And then, then of course, in March, everything got upended. So, <laughs> so now it's a new challenge, I guess. A new, um, I don't know, it kind of feels like a left turn in the journey almost, right? Pandemic. So, Your latest full-length record, Southern Ambrosia, I'm sure you're really excited about this record. I mean, it's an absolute masterpiece. The songwriting is fantastic. Just from a sonic point of view, it just sounds incredible. Wow, I'm, I'm sure there's lots that we can talk about here. So I'm just going to give you the opportunity just to tell the listeners a little bit about Southern Ambrosia. Sure. Um, it's, it is a record I'm ex- extremely proud of, and for better or worse, <laughs> all the emotions that go along with that. So it's almost now, I guess it'll be two years old in September, which I guess, relatively speaking, is not that old yet. Um, but so that album, I had about a third of the songs written as I was moving to Nashville. So I had, you know, when I moved to Nashville, uh, Unraveling was little less than a year old, but nobody in Nashville cared. <laughs> so it's it's almost like if it didn't, if it wasn't recorded in Nashville, nobody really gave a shit. But so when I moved here, I had a few songs written and I had my eye towards like, okay, start to think about a new record in the next year. So because, you know, the process takes so long of finding people and, and booking dates and make and making the record and then doing the artwork and like getting the promo together, you know, before you know it, it's been two years and you don't have a new album or new, new work or anything to put out. So when I moved here in 2014, I was looking to, you know, co-writing and and meeting people to write with and really, you know, diving into um, writing my next full length. So I had a few songs and then I met a few folks and uh, wrote a couple more songs. Um, And then when I looked at the collection that I had, right at about 2016, I felt really ready to record the album. It felt really really cohesive. Um, It had a lot to do with life as a Southerner and especially in, you know, the 21st century and all the kind of juxtapositions that go along with that being proud of this being of being southern but and and some of the you know traditions and cultural piece that goes along with that being proud of the diversity of this region um, but also being torn completely and heartbroken by the legacy of this this region so i feel like a lot of that is explored on there and you know a lot of there's some political commentary on there there's one song slow kill that i i didn't write until um, about a month before we recorded it, so it's so it's the most recent uh, song on that record. But anyway, so t- about 2016, mid 2016, I had had I had a majority of the songs that became Southern Ambrosia. Was making plans to record with a producer in town, and then my uh, relationship with my then boyfriend uh, fell apart and uh, just came to a crashing. Halt, uh, you know, end, tragic end. And um, so that kind of derailed my life for six months or so. And then within that time period of, you know, 
kind of grieving that the end of that relationship and, you know, going through that, um, I met Mike Rennie or I knew Mike Rennie, uh, through a, a couple of mutual friends, but we were at a show, the Cannery Ballroom. Um, he said to me, he was like, I really want to produce your album. Please let me produce your record. Cause I had talked to him about playing bass on my album. He's an incredible bass player, but he, he said, no, I want to produce it. And so I was like, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was just, my head was so cloudy because I was going through this grieving period of my breakup. And so, you know, a month later, so he called and said, listen, I booked some studio dates. I'm going to get some session guys. We're just going to go in and I want to cut these four songs. He's like, and if you like how it turns out, we'll talk about recording the rest of the album together. If you don't like how it turns out, then no sweat. You don't owe me anything. We'll just call it a fun weekend and we'll go from there. So that's kind of how the genesis of that record happened. Uh, December, I think the last two or three days of December of 2016, we went into Welcome to 79, which is an analog studio here in Nashville. And we cut four songs, four or five songs, which then ultimately became half of Southern Ambrosia. And then a few months later, in May of 2017, we finished the rest of the record. And in that time period, I wrote Slow Kills. I wrote it about two months after Trump was elected. And uh, yeah, so that's that's really how that album came about. I am very proud of it. I do, like I was saying before, I think there's a really strong thematic element in that album. Um, I feel like it showcases some of my best songwriting, um, but also a lot of my influences. And, you know, there's some blues in there. There's some straight folk, um, obviously a lot of country. It's a, it's a country album. So, yeah, that's that's really, that's Southern Ambrosia. I mean, I could probably talk about it for a long time, <laughs> but but that's, that's it in a, you know, five-minute nutshell, I suppose. One of my favorite tracks, if not my favorite track on the record, is Strong Blood. So I believe that the title Southern Ambrosia actually comes from a line in the song. Could you maybe tell us more about that? So that song, I wrote it, I started writing it in the summer of 2016. I was bartending and um, I would finish my shift and I would come home and the house I was living in at the time also didn't have AC, <laughs> central AC. So I'd sit in front of the window unit and I'd crank it on and I'd pick up, I was playing, I was messing around on an electric guitar a little bit at that time. And I'd sit in front of the AC unit and I'd mess around. And that's how I wrote that song. So Strong Blood, I suppose the idea of it is behind uh, ambrosia, you know, being the food from the gods, you know, the nectar of the gods. And the idea there is that there are things that the American South gives us or the state of Georgia in particular with regards to me, because that's where I'm from, give to us that, that are, you know, are unique to that region. And um, I highlight uh, Georgia peaches, the fruit, and which is a perfect food. And then uh, the Almond Brothers, which is um, one of my favorite bands and a band that I grew up hearing all the time. My parents were big fans of that band and just living in Georgia, you know, you hear, you hear that music kind of, it's kind of the background music of your life in a lot of ways. So I kind of give a nod to both of those in there. Um, and I call them Southern Ambrosia, but yeah, that's, that's a very autobiographical song. You know, I, I talk about my dad there. The only thing that daddy left 
was a little dust on the shelf. And that's, that's literally talking about his ashes. You know, he was a working man and he died suddenly. And, you know, that's, that's kind of that, I suppose. I wrote that song. Um, I started writing that song a couple of weeks after the Pulse nightclub shooting. So the second verse about, you know, news, you know, the newsman on the radio today said it's worse than yesterday. There ain't no sweet relief. It's just that line is directly from, you know, the feeling of despair that you get when you listen to the news, especially now. Holy cow. But uh, yeah, but, you know, there's a, there's a quiet hopefulness in, in it, too, because, you know, sometimes as artists, the only relief maybe we can get is is through the creative work that we do. And that's what I was trying to convey in that song is that, you know, singing and writing and, you know, especially performing bring me a lot of joy and, and a lot of um, relief for those, those kind of heavy emotions. And that's what I was, that I was trying to say there. So, <laughs> um, you know, and I, and I nod to the fact that my, you know, my dad was, was stubborn, but he was also an empath and um, very courageous and hard worker. And, and I hope that I have those qualities in myself. You know, some days I recognize that I do and some days that I don't. So that's kind of what that song talks about and is about. Well, it's certainly great to hear that your father has influenced you so much and that his presence is strongly felt on Southern Ambrosia, both sonically and lyrically. I believe that he actually gave you your very first guitar at the age of 16 and a couple of really cool records too. So he's been a really big influence in your life. Totally. Well, so my, my folks didn't have a, um, they didn't have a vinyl record player in our house growing up. So we just had CDs um, and it wasn't until probably like 10 years ago, I was in the attic of my mom, my mama's house. And I opened this old trunk and oh my gosh, she had, it was like full of amazing, all this incredible vinyl. And I was like, mom, you've been hiding this, you know, when, when I finally got into to vinyl and collecting vinyl albums and anyway, so yeah, so they were big music lovers and uh, we always had some really incredible CDs. When I was I think when I was in fourth grade, I got my first CD player and I got the Space Jam soundtrack, the Spice Girls album, Spice Girl Spice, and um, Cat Stevens' Tea for the Tillerman. <laughs> Those are the three, my three first CDs. And then from there, you know, my dad, he was always, we always had a cassette tape of Graceland in the car, Live at the Fillmore East. That was always on, all my brothers, Live at the Fillmore East was always on, um, you know, I grew up thinking that a, a 20 minute song was normal <laughs> because of Mountain Jam on that record. <laughs> yeah. So we had some really incredible music growing up. My mom, my mama was a big Jesse Coulter fan. Um, she had a couple Emmy Lou records. Uh, so, so yeah, so they, they were very influential, you know, musically for me from a pretty early age. And uh, yeah, that Graceland record is so, you know, it, for the first several years after my dad died, I couldn't even listen to that album or pretty much a lot of Bob Dylan. It just reminded me too much of him. But now it's it's a very it's a very happy memory to be able to sing along to all those songs. Yeah, it's incredible to discover how successful Paul Simon's Graceland 
has been. Of course, with me being from South Africa, I heard that record when I was younger because, of course, it was recorded here. And Ladysmith, Black Mombasa have had a great career as a result of the exposure from recording with Paul Simon. And my brother and I used to listen to that record a lot growing up. In fact, he's got a poster of it now in his house. And I laughed the other day because my cousin only heard this album, I think, for the first time in her life a year or two ago. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, like <laughs> I was listening to that when I was a kid, you know. So there, there's still people that are discovering that record. Well, that's that's a great thing about uh, about you know, classic timeless music. And I, I always hope that can be true for my music is that for someone that has never heard it, you know, it's brand new. And that that is what always continues to blow me away about music as an art form. It's like this never ending treasure trove of, of music. Like I just this summer really got into Nick Lowe. I hadn't really listened to a bunch of his music, but I've been like, you know, consuming it this summer because it's new to me. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know. It's, I feel very blessed for music to be such a big part of my life. And I don't even really say blessed all that often. I feel very fortunate, you know, that, that music is such a huge part of my life and something I love to do. And speaking of classic and timeless music, I mean, you certainly had some classic and timeless albums, Space Jam, Spice Girls, and Tea for the Tiller Man. So, Christina, I noticed on your Instagram account that you have a really lovely photo up there where you have chosen a couple of timeless tracks for, I believe it's your, uh, your, your nieces. Can you tell us more about this project? Um, yeah, so my, well, that was definitely a quarantine, I was super bored in quarantine kind of project. And the idea started was uh, my boyfriend and I were coming back from a show of mine and we were listening to a Malcolm Gladwell podcast where he in interviews Booker T. And that's an incredible interview. Booker T is like the most zen motherfucker. I mean, he's just like, he, he has such a soothing voice. Anyway, so we were talking and I was just so amazed by, oh my gosh, like I forget how much incredible music he was a part of. And um, and they were playing Green Onions, you know, in the background. And I was like, God, this is such an iconic song. And that's kind of what, so the project for uh, my niece and for my nephew kind of was born out of that. I was like, God, there's so much incredible music that I even forget about because I don't have like a couple towers of CDs staring me in the face. And, you know, I've got a handful of albums, but I don't have, you know, a 200 vinyl collection by any means. So all of our music is streamed online, right? So it's not, we're not looking at it in the face. We're, we can't, I can't see like, oh man, this BB King Live CD that I haven't played in four months. You know, I forgot about it. Let me put it on right now. That just doesn't happen with, with uh, non-tangible music anymore. So I was thinking like, how can I make all of the important music, you know, presentable to, to someone that's eight years old? So, you know, my eight-year-old niece, she likes Billie Eilish and that's that's great and you know she likes music that's on the radio and that her friends like but to me there's just so much a musical education is so important and there's it's so vast it's almost like where do you even start so so I came up with like well let me do a full month's worth of songs and pick from various genres and 
influential, like incredibly influential artists, genre defining, defining artists and bands. And so what I did was I picked, you know, songs like, oh gosh, I picked, you know, a song from Paul Simon and Grateful Dead and Led Zeppelin and Sister Rosetta Tharp and Chuck Berry and just all sorts of, all sorts of artists that I thought are important for kids to know that they may not know. And I picked a song and I wrote a little bit about the artist or the band and I took a postcard, you know, three by five postcard, and I wrote a little, you know, fun factoid about the band or the artist. And I wrote a little bit about the song. And then on the other side, I drew a picture that either correlated to the song or a picture of the artist. And I did 30 of those and I sent them to my niece. And the whole idea is that every day for a month, she would pull a card out and say, hey, I think they have a Google, not an Alexa. She said she would say, hey, Google, play uh, Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. And then she would hear, you know, she would then read also the the information on the backside. So it's kind of a multiple, you know, multiple, multiply beneficial because she's practicing reading and, and reading loud. And um, so she she would read that a lot. My sister would film it. She would read it and then she would say, hey, Google, and then they would you know, then they would listen to the song. And it would be things like, you know, on Ring of Fire, Johnny Cash is known as the man in black. And this song features a strong horn section and listen for that. And this song was written by a woman named June Carter Cash. And so, so yeah, that was kind of the idea behind that. Um, I I keep forgetting that I did that because it was such a labor of love. And when I got about halfway through, I was like, oh, man, this is a lot of work. But it, I was really proud of that. And a few people have been like, you should patent that and sell it. <laughs> so maybe that'll be maybe if I get really hard up for money, I'll I'll do it again, because it was such a joy to it was really hard to narrow it down. But obviously, like I said, it's just there's even more music to be discovered at all times. So I could do it again and again. <laughs> Yeah, I can see you put a lot of effort into that, and it's great to hear the backstory regarding the project. And I think I'll certainly pull this up and do the 30-day Christina Murray Tastemaker Adventure in Music. Well, speaking of quarantine, I know that you have released a single recently. Did it come out during quarantine? Can you tell us more about this latest single? Yeah, it actually came out um, at the beginning of July. I think I put it out. Yeah, July 3rd. This song uh, It's a song called The Great Unknown. And so back in January, I was doing a lot of co-writing. I think I had four weeks straight where I was doing a couple co-writes a week, just because that is something that had fallen off for me in the last year. I hadn't been doing that so much, and I wanted to get back into it just to see if I, just to remind myself that I do like co-writing with certain people. And my friend, Leo Rondu, he's a, a, a country singer. Here in town, he used to live in Austin, but he moved to Nashville a couple of years ago. And I, I was a fan of him and his music for a few years. And then when he moved to Nashville, he and I got to be friends. And uh, we did a, a little tour last year together, uh, a couple dates together. And I said, I told him that I wanted to write with him because he has a very distinct writing style um, that's really conversational and can be kind of uh, funny and uh, witty, but sometimes in a tragic way. And I really wanted to explore that for myself. So anyway, so I had him come over to the house and we, it was our first time writing together and we kind of 
mustered out this song called The Great Unknown. And so this was in the excuse me, in the January. And I really liked it a lot. I thought it was just a really simple musing on on being grateful. And I feel like we wrote it in a way that isn't cheesy. So I, I wanted to record it because I hadn't really done any uh, recording in a while. And um, my friend Thomas Brian Eaton, he lives in North Nashville. He, him and his girlfriend have a house that has a, um, a studio. And uh, he called me up a few days before Super Bowl Sunday, I think, which is basically a national holiday here <laughs> in America. And he was like, hey, do you want to come and record some songs this weekend? And uh, I was out of town. I was like, I'll be back Sunday evening. If we can find some guys that want to record, I have a song that I really want to record. Uh, might be kind of tough because it's Super Bowl Sunday. So um, anyway, I was driving back to Nashville that that morning and I was hitting up a few friends, my bass player, Jonathan, and my friend Taylor, who plays drums. And I was like, hey, can y'all, what are y'all doing tonight? Do you want to come record a song instead of watching the Super Bowl? And everybody was down. Everybody, well, um, and it was just really casual. It was, we went in and we listened to the song. It's a pretty easy mellow tune. And um, Thomas got our mutual friend, Asa, to come and play Steel. And uh, anyway, we just laid down Great Unknown. That then became the single. And I feel so grateful that we did because, you know, a month later, we went into quarantine. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's funny to me. Uh, Mike Rennie, my producer on uh, Southern Ambrosia, when we were recording um, the song Tell Me from that album, which is kind of a heartbreaking song, um, I was in the vocal booth and I was getting upset because, you know, I was recently, I had recently broken up with my boyfriend and um, the song is a little bit about that. And but I had written it before we broke up. And Mike Rainey said to me, you know, what Johnny Cash told Roseanne Cash was that songs are like uh, little postcards from the future. And I thought that was such a beautiful idea. And I think that is so true. And I feel like that's really true with this song, Great Unknown, because, you know, we wrote that in January. I recorded it in February. And then you know, quarantine and the pandemic happened in March. And the song is just really about being content with and okay with, you know, the way that your life is and realizing that as humans, we're just here for this tiny little, not even a wisp of a blink of an, you know, not even eyelash on a blink of an eye and in this vast, vast um, universe. And so, it's it's all this kind of element swirling together, you know, being happy with a, a beautiful Sunday morning and a cup of coffee. And I think that I don't know. We I feel like between me and Leo, it's it was a, it was certainly a, a piece of art by collective. You know, I it couldn't have come to fruition without uh, my friend Leo and and particularly my friend Thomas that recorded it as well, who kind of captured the ethereal nature of that song. So. So, yeah, so that's the great unknown. <laughs> and then, the, uh, you know, when we recorded it, you can hear me laugh at the beginning. And then when my friend Justin was mixing and mastering it in the initial round, he took out my laugh. And we were all like, no, you got to put that back in there because that's part of the that's part of the song. Yeah, well, 2020 certainly been a bizarre year. And I think the listeners 
will agree that we're really fortunate and lucky to have musicians such as yourself just creating amazing art for us to essentially consume during these difficult times. I mean, I've been listening to Southern Ambrosia now a lot over the last few weeks, and it just makes me really happy to hear the record. I love listening to it when I'm driving in my car or, you know, walking around a wine farm. So yeah, I'm a big fan of your music and I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners that are listening to this episode are too, but I'm sure there's some that are discovering your music for the first time. So if they want to go and check more of your work out, they can visit your website at christinamurray.net. Of course, all of your music is available on the streaming platforms, but if they want to get a good sense of your entire discography, they can also visit your Bandcamp website, which is christinamurray.bandcamp.com. What else do you have in store for the future for the fans? Well, first of all, thank you so much for listening to the album. It's always exciting to know that anyone anywhere is listening, especially like halfway across the world. How rad is that? I, I just really love that. And I, I appreciate all your kind words about the music. But as far as what's coming up, I'm just been writing not a ton, but uh, a fair amount. And I've got some songs that I actually think are decent. So I've been demoing with my producer for you know the last few months and the hope is that by the end of the year to get in and start recording the new record. But this producer uh, is a little bit more, he likes to take things at a bit of a slower pace. And I am learning how to work with that. And I think that's really healthy because uh, I want to obviously write the best, absolutely best album that I can write. And so that's a, a matter of writing a bunch of songs and distilling it down to what are the best ones. So for me right now, it's just uh, a bunch of writing, uh, a bunch of work taping and working with my producer. And then as far as, you know, since none of us really know when we're going to get to go back to performing live and in person at venues and, and bars and all that, I'm hoping it'll be next summer, but, you know, who knows? So I believe that I'll be doing a few live streams here this fall. I did I did a couple in the spring, but yeah, I would like to do another live stream in the fall and probably September or October, maybe one or two. So I would just advise fans and new fans and friends to to look out for that on the socials and yeah, maybe maybe a, a release here or there. I've got a, a handful more kind of stored away that I could put out. So. We'll see. Awesome. So lots to look forward to from Christina Murray. And uh, I certainly will dream about uh, some time in the future where I could perhaps catch a live concert of you at the Grand Old Opry in Nashville. So Christina, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. I really appreciate it. And I know the listeners do too. So I know that you're getting ready to go kayaking today. Uh, I hope you have a great uh, time on the uh, on the river. Whereabouts are you going to be uh, hitting the uh, the river? <laughs> there, there's a couple options: the Piney River, the Harpeth, and then we were also talking about going to the Duck River. So I'm I'd be happy with any of those. It's looking like it might rain, but it hasn't yet. So I'm hoping we can get out there soon and and avoid any sort of downpour. But yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. <laughs>